Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Hello, everyone. My name is Nirali Patel, and I'm an attorney at Greater Boston Legal Services in the Low Income Tax Clinic. I will be moderating today's event. First, I would like to welcome everyone for joining the Mass Health Connector panel. Today, we are going to discuss what is the health insurance mandate in Massachusetts, who can appeal a health care penalty, who qualifies for assistance to pay for health insurance, and how do you avoid having to pay back the premium tax credit? Joining us today for the panel are Michael Canella, who is the Assistant General Counsel at the Massachusetts Health Connector, Heidi Cohen-Smith, who is the Appeals Research Associate at the Massachusetts Health Connector, and Mel Giganti, who is the LITC Program Director for the Low Income Tax Clinic at Northeast Legal Aid. If you have questions throughout the panel, feel free to put them in the chat and I'll keep track of them. With that, I'll hand it over to Michael and Heidi. Great, thank you for that introduction, Arali. Um, so, hi, I'm Mike Canella from Health Connector, and I'm going to get us started with our presentation, which is focusing on the tax appeal process, the individual mandate, um, and um, just want to acknowledge that we have some slide content that will be available to you um, after the program uh, about how to uh, seek out MCC compliant plans through the Health Connector, uh, including subsidized coverage through both federal and state programs. Um, if folks have questions about that during the course of today's presentation, happy to set aside time to dive into that. Um, but for now, leaving those um, off to the side while we dive into the individual mandate. So let's see, great. So the individual mandate, this is you know Massachusetts state law. Uh, it requires any Massachusetts resident who's an adult to have qualifying health insurance coverage for the entirety of a calendar year. Um, importantly, it can't just be any type of health insurance coverage. It has to uh, be minimum creditable coverage, or as we say, MCC. So there are certain substantive and policy design requirements that the coverage has to meet. And those are defined both um, in state law uh, at Chapter 111M or otherwise um, in the health sector's regulations uh, at 956 uh, CMR 5. Um, so, for example, you know, some of those key dimensions are, you know, covering certain important substantive services, um, having some limitations around the magnitude of cost sharing exposure that an individual enrolled in that plan would experience. Um, and there's also some types of coverage that are categorically deemed eligible for MCC. So people who are eligible for enrolled in Medicare, Medicaid, um, certain other federal programs. Um, would uh, meet the MCC standard uh, through that participation. Um, additionally, there's this component of affordability. So you are only penalized if you um, have access to affordable MCC uh, during a calendar year and you didn't have it. And so the Health Connector and its responsibility here also sets the affordability standards. So what percentage of your income um, is considered an affordable amount of money to be spending on health insurance. So such that even if there is uh, MCC compliant coverage out there, um, if the cost of that coverage would be in excess of what you can see here on this slide, 
for example, for the calendar year 2023 affordability schedule for an individual, um, there would uh, you you would basically be penalty free. You know, the math doesn't work out. You never had access to affordable MCC. So that's the core structure with the individual mandate and this command to have minimum credible coverage that is affordable to you. Um, so as just as I just noted, um, if you don't comply with the mandate, um, you can get penalized. And the way the state learns that is you file your Schedule HC on your state income tax return that goes to the Department of Revenue. Um, the key idea here is, again, if you had access to affordable MCC, then you can be penalized, right? Um, oftentimes, folks won't have access to affordable MCC, and therefore, in completing your Schedule HC, um, if you follow the appropriate tables um, linked uh, here in the presentation, you know, the math should tell you that uh, you should not be penalized. And as you can see here, there's, there's certain folks for whom um, penalties never apply. So, you know, if your income is below a certain level, you know, below 150% FPL, uh, you know, a penalty functionally does not apply to you. Um, if you go three months without insurance, so that's every time there's a break in coverage during a calendar year, um, Chapter 111M of the General Laws of Massachusetts say um, you get a grace period every time there's a break in coverage. So if you had coverage on your employer uh, for two months at the beginning of the year, uh, changed jobs, um, got a, a new job later in the year, and there was a three-month gap uh, between the old job and the new job, no penalty for those months, even if you weren't enrolled um, in MCC. Uh, there's also in Chapter 111M uh, a sincerely held religious belief exemption, and that's for individuals who um, do not have um, a belief in the value and use of uh, medical treatment uh, in you know in in all its forms. Uh, that's administered by DOR, uh, not by the Health Connector, and nor through the Health Connector appeals process, uh, which Heidi will cover later. Uh, the idea here is. Uh, if you do go through the Schedule HC process and filing your taxes and uh, the answer that it spits out is you are subject to a penalty, uh, there are appeal rights available to you um, to both challenge that result, uh, including an assertion that um, notwithstanding the availability of affordable MCC, you, in fact, experienced some form of hardship that uh, precluded you from accessing uh, the MCC. The idea being that the tax filing document that you're submitting is just assessing whether you should be penalized as a matter of law at the high level, you know, what the law says should be affordable to you. And then the appeals process administered by the health connector is really an opportunity for folks who receive a penalty on their tax return to assert um, particular facts and circumstances that would allow for a waiver of the penalty. So what are those hardships? So um, in our regulations at 956 CMR 608, um, there are several enumerated hardship exemption categories. Um, and as you can see, um, these are pretty extraordinary circumstances that would um, clearly evidence, evidence someone's inability to allocate any uh, component of their income to something like health insurance. So we're looking at homelessness, um, you know, inability to pay for housing, um, you know, lack of access to uh, essential utilities, um, you know, experiencing any type of domestic violence, um, you know, sudden unfortunate events in the composition of one's family, um, natural disasters, 
Um, there's also a catch-all provision, you know, experienced financial circumstances, such that purchasing coverage uh, would have caused a serious deprivation of necessities. Um, you know, that's an opportunity for uh, tax penalty appellants to really present um, sort of their, their budget and some other circumstances not otherwise enumerated here to really uh, show why the cost of health insurance um, that they could have accessed was um, constructively denied to them because of all these other demands on their um, on their limited limited budget. Um, and then additionally, there are some other um, you know exemptions that can arise that can result in an individual going through the appeals process um, and having a hearing officer choose to uh, waive a penalty. So um, sometimes folks are enrolled in health insurance. It's reasonably good health insurance, but let's say uh, they work for a large national employer and that large national employer in setting up and designing their health plan didn't actually design it in a way to comply with our state's MCC substantive or plan design rules such that it technically doesn't meet MCC. Um, typically, um, hearing officers of the health connector uh, presented with those cases will ask and appellants to provide them with the plan documents to really see what the points of difference are. And you know, if somebody's in that situation, a hearing officer will typically grant them uh, an exception um, for having attempted to substantially comply um, with the mandate. Um, and then there's, you know, just again, any other types of circumstances in which you know compliant coverage is not affordable. Um, you know, is, sending resources home to a um, family member overseas. Um, that's uh, uh, an item. Also, um, raising uh, hardship bases, not um, in the context of a whole year, but also just for the particular months where the penalty applied. So sometimes, you know, when you look at, when you do the tax return with Schedule HC, um, it's looking at your income for the whole year. It's assessing affordability on the basis of your whole annual income. Um, you may have had a period of three or four months during the course of the year, maybe five, six months, uh, where you know uh, your financial circumstances were uh, extraordinarily different than what your top line tax return um, AGI shows. And so um, that's an opportunity for an appellant to really present a hearing officer with the details about why during those particular months without coverage, something was happening in, in their life, you know, financial or otherwise that took away from their ability to access the otherwise available uh, affordable MCC. Um, I'm going to be now transitioning over to um, Heidi so that she can sort of walk through what a uh, individual pursuing the tax penalty appeals process would uh, need to do to access it and also what it's like to go through it. But I don't know, Narali, if you want me to pause for any questions or if you have questions for me before we do. Um, we don't have any questions from the audience. I did think of a few questions, but I think I'll save it for after um, Heidi goes through the appeal in case they're already answered. Fantastic. Um, all right. Well, with that, um, I'm going to transition to the next slide. And um, Heidi, the floor is yours. And just tell me when to advance the slides. So. Yes, to who anyone can appeal. Um, so anyone that's usually with the taxes and they come up with a penalty, um, 
there's nobody that can appeal. We allow everybody to appeal. Um, it's very important when you do when you're doing the taxes in order to start the appeal, they have to check off the box on the Schedule HC requesting the appeal. If it is a um, spouse, if it's a you know two people appealing, they both need to check the box for them both to to get the appeal, and that's what's going to actually start the process from Department of Revenue so, um, side. So you can go to the next slide. So once you check that box, uh, Department of Revenue will start the process of the appeals and they'll send what's called a statement of grounds. And that's when you're going to check off the claims. So those hardship claims that Michael mentioned earlier, um, you, know, you would check off why you're, you're appealing for this hardship. Um, it's kind of one of those, you don't want to give us too much information, but you kind of got to give us something to go with. Um, Usually I say like check off a box, what applies to you. Um, but also if you could supply us with some sort of written written statement, um, documentation, it helps sort of put the, the case together. We can usually, um, I'd say about 40% of appeals that we receive in a given tax year, we can actually do them administratively. So maybe it's an issue when you filed the taxes, you didn't have that tax form from your insurer that said you had the MCC compliant insurance, but you've since found that, or maybe the taxes were filed incorrectly and you didn't live in Massachusetts all year round. Um, so you might've been out of state. Um, or then sometimes too, it's a lot of times it's not a full 12 year penalty. It's a period of year, it's a period of the year. So maybe you were insured in the beginning of the year and again, at the end of the year, and there's this chunk of time in between. And sometimes if we could fill in that blank, even with that supporting documentation, we can oftentimes approve them internally before going to a hearing. Um, if not, then there's always an opportunity after the fact at the hearing to also explain that information. Uh, usually you get about 30 days to return that to the Department of Education, uh, to Department of Revenue, I'm sorry. Um, so it's a 30-day window on their end. It's actually a little bit longer because we handle the um, dismissal manually on our end. And we do allow for just what the current environment is. I know like during COVID, we were giving like over 120 days to return them just because mail was what it was. Um, but after that, right now we do between 90 and 120 days. If it's not received, we dismiss it. Um, when you get that dismissal from the Department of Re revenue, you get 20 days to request that we reopen your case. That date's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder of a deadline because once 30 days from when they send that dismissal happens on the Department of Revenue side, they close the case and it's very hard for us to reopen it. We will on certain, you know, if you can show a, a good cause why you are returning an untimely um, request to vacate, we can on occasion request the Department of Revenue hold an assessment, but usually once that 30 days is passed from when we dismiss the case, the case is dismissed and you're going to have to pay that penalty. Uh, next slide. Okay, so once, if we're unable to approve the penalty like internally, we decide that you're going to go for a hearing. We usually send a notice. Um, it can take, unfortunately, a, a while sometimes for us to get the hearings to get hearing dates just because of the volume that we do do them in. Um, we do give at least 10 days notice prior to a hearing. We usually schedule them about 30 days out. Like right now we're scheduling for December. Um, so you'll get a notification from the connector. It's gonna come from the connector. It'll have a phone number. The hearings are all held 
telephonically. We have, we have independent hearing officers uh, who are well-versed in both the tax penalty side, but also they do the eligibility appeals. So they understand the process. They understand what's affordable. They're, they're very well educated on both ends of it, um, which is another reason why sometimes the, the penalty isn't necessarily meant to penalize you. You didn't have insurance. You need to have insurance. It's because we want them to have insurance. So also a portion of these hearings are to allow for a hearing officer to educate an appellant who probably who may qualify for a connector care plan or even mass health and just don't know how to go about and do it. Um, so these hearings are, I would say they're they're quick and they're painless. They're they're really there to help our appellants as well. Um, they're going to ask you questions about the year. Why didn't you have insurance? Did you have insurance offered to you? Um, they'll try to get that information that maybe didn't come forward from the documentation that we got from Department of Revenue when they filed the appeal. The hearings generally last about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, sometimes they're quicker. Again, our hearing officers are great. They're well-prepared. They review these things weeks in advance. They know what they want to ask when the people call in. Um, so they're pretty good at getting these done fast. Uh, we do hold hearings only Monday through Friday, only between the hours of nine and three. Um, and again, they're, they're quick hearings. If an appellant doesn't call in, uh, the line is open for 15 minutes. After that 15 minutes, it's a no-show. Um, so next slide. So if an appellant called into the hearing, um, sometimes maybe there's information that they went over that the hearing officer wants to see in writing. So maybe they said they have that documentation from their insurer that they had insurance, or maybe they don't, but they're trying to um, they're trying to uh, gauge if their insurance that was offered through their employer did meet the MCC requirements. Um, so they can ask for the appellant to send in information. Maybe it's their plan documents from their employer. Um, so they can open the record and they, we would send them out the request for more information. If they feel that they have enough, they close the record. And usually within 30 to 60 days, we have a decision to send out to the appellant. The hearing officer can either uh, waive none of the penalty, waive a portion of the penalty, or waive all of the penalty. And this is sort of to where Michael was talking about. They'll look at the year and like maybe maybe for a portion of the year, they did have a hardship. But another portion of the year, they didn't. So they might, you know, waive some of it. Um, this is just one of those things that they'll use their judgment call um, to determine, like, was there an actual hardship? Was it a whole year hardship? Was it a portion of the year? Um, and again, they can also, maybe they've testified credibly to the hearing officer that they had some sort of insurance that met the standard. Or they, for whatever reason, didn't qualify to have insurance. Um, so the... Connector, once we get the decision, we report that information to DOR, and it is up to DOR to handle any billing or refunds that may be due to an appellant. Uh, we don't have anything to say. We don't even, we usually don't even know what their penalty is. Um, that information doesn't get relayed to us. If an appellant fails to appeal at a hearing, we will also notify Department of Revenue. They'll send out another, they'll send out a dismissal, didn't appear. The appellants have 20 days to request that we reopen the case. Um, again, after that 30 day from the dismissal, Department of Education, Department of Revenue, 
closes that account. And um, it's harder, we can, but it's just harder for us to reopen that case. Um, again, they would need to have some sort of appelling reason for us to reopen it. Um, we usually only allow for two reschedules. Uh, you missed the hearing two times. You missed the hearing two times. We're not going to, or three times it would actually become time because you had your first one and then your two reschedules. We're not going to give you another hearing unless, again, there was an extenuating circumstance. Um, and if so, if we don't receive a request to reopen the case, we don't reopen the case, uh, Department of Revenue will handle the billing on it. Next slide. And these are just kind of like, so this is based on 2021. As you can see, the vast majority of these appeals do get approved. Um, the other large amount though are the ones that don't appear. Um, I think sometimes when people check off the box, they don't necessarily know what goes into it. And then when they get a hearing notice, they just don't bother to go forward with it. Um, but again, if it's something you have, a client that you prepare the taxes for, it's worth going with the hearing because um, you never know. And as you can see, like we do tend to lead on the approval side. Um, and the ones that aren't approved, um, you know, it's not, it, it's generally, we're not talking about people who have, I don't want to say legit hardships, but we're not talking about people who, who do fit that hardship model. Um, or they didn't provide us, they didn't provide the hearing officer with anything substantial to approve the, the appeal. Uh, next slide. And then these are just our top reasons why we seem to get, why we approve penalties. It does change from year to year. Um, there is a larger selection of this, but um, this is just kind of the top. Most of them are financial related. Um, some of them do change like this fire, flood, natural disaster. That's something that upticked and it's kind of on the downtick now as we're coming out of COVID. Um, we do have some people who have agreements through like they don't have MCC available insurance, usually they're unions. Um, so we'll see like a large amount of things that we approve because they didn't have MCC insurance. We either it's we have that agreement with the union or they didn't know. A lot of things that we're seeing now is people who are working for either national or out-of-state companies, and they just don't have insurance that meets that Massachusetts requirement. And, you know, that first year, we're going to be a little more lenient on that. But eventually, if you're going to continue to work for that employer, we would expect them to start looking at that Massachusetts insurance. Uh, the not um, So the no affordable option, that would be something that when the hearing officer might go through what was available to you and what you had as available money, because that's kind of one of those things that when they do have those hearings and they do ask you about your financial situation for last year, they'll sort of start to piece that together. So maybe, maybe either your employer plan wasn't affordable based on the standard, or maybe it was, but you had an extenuating circumstance and they will allow for that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not eligible to purchase those are really, so you're not, it's immigration status prevents you from purchasing. A lot of those we are able to clean up internally without having to go to a hearing. It's usually pretty clear when they don't have that social security number available to buy the insurance, or sometimes it's that they didn't for 2022 say, but going forward they will, and we have to reapprove it for the prior year. Um, and then problem enrolling, sometimes it's problems going through our system. Sometimes it's problems you missed your 
your open enrollment with your employer. There were some questions you thought you signed up. Um, just something that you showed to either us or the hearing officer that you made an attempt to get that insurance, but for whatever reason beyond your control, it wasn't, you weren't able to. And I think that's it for the slides on the hearing process. Yeah, okay, that's it awesome. on that. Um, should I, is this a good time for questions? Sure. Uh, would you want us to cease? presenting or do you think there are some specific slides you'd want us to be able to refer back to with your questions early? Yeah, I think there, there would be some, some specific slides. Um, so for example, the, the first question is when a taxpayer comes to VITA, for example, and they want to have their return prepared and they, and they say, look, I didn't have health insurance for 2023, what questions should a VITA volunteer ask to help determine um, whether this taxpayer should appeal the penalty? So kind of going back to some of the, the factors, do you have like specific questions that volunteers should use to gauge whether it's appropriate to appeal? Yeah, well, I think, and, and Heidi should correct me too, like, I, I think our, our official position is just going back to this slide, um, you know, if you see that there's a penalty, it's generally worthwhile for you to just say that you want to pursue an appeal um, as a general matter. Um, I think, as Heidi said, there, there's no negative consequence to you if you're willing to pursue it. Um, and the reason is, um, I don't know if there's any real common set of questions for a taxpayer to ask an individual at that time to make the judgment about the appeal. Um, but, you know, the whole purpose of the appeal process is to conduct a facts and circumstances analysis, you know, um, and, you know, it, it, you won't get that opportunity, right? You're just going to be assessed a penalty because the law is going to, you know, as reflected in the Schedule HC tables, is going to say, you know, as a matter of law, you had access to affordable coverage that met MCC standards and um, you didn't do it. So you get penalized. And so this is really your only opportunity to have that um, facts and circumstances of why you didn't have coverage considered. Um, so I think that you know the answer should be yes. Always, always pursue the appeal. But then if you know if a tax preparer wants to, you know, um, assist someone with, you know, uh, preparing them for what they might need to do to be best prepared to attend that hearing, you know, then you'd want to see you know, what what kinds of pieces of evidence can they help bring to bear, right? Um, you know, do they have utility shutoff notices? Do they have documents that show mortgage arrears? Um, you know, can they speak to, you know, some, some sort of family circumstance? Um, you know, um, yeah, I think also how you mentioned the example of, you know, the employer's open enrollment periods. Sometimes uh, it is not uncommon to see appeals where the appellant says, uh, I kept asking my employer about when when to enroll and they kept putting it off. And then I learned that the open enrollment period was closed. So there can be circumstances like that where, you know, I think it's 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 about maybe directing and pointing the person you're assisting um, to think about what pieces of evidence and documents to collect to bring with them. But the question I don't think should be, 
um, at the stage of should they or should they not appeal. Um, and I'll Heidi, if you want to add anything else to that. You know, I always say, because we'll get people that'll call, you know, they they do their taxes, they got this penalty, is it worth appealing? I always say it's always worth appealing. Because you you never know what that outcome is gonna be. You never know, like, you know, you might not think you really have a case, but you know, even somebody like as simple as the the example Michael gave with the I tried to sign up for my insurance for my employer. So maybe you did actually have access to to employer off insurance, and you're looking at this. Well, I didn't qualify because I did have access, but you didn't actually have access if you had issues applying for it. Um, you know, if you had trouble getting on, and you know, I think one thing that sort of came in the last few years, um, a lot of like people were losing jobs, spouses were losing jobs, people were losing coverage. And I've sort of learned there's a lot of maybe HR people who don't understand what a qualifying event is. If you're on your spouse's insurance and you lose it, it doesn't matter if the enrollment is closed at your employer, the enrollment is now open, you have a qualifying event. And we, we found a lot of people back in like 2020, 2021, who had maybe access to employer sponsored insurance, but they just couldn't get on it because of misinterpretation of what that qualifying event was. Um, so these are all judgment calls that our hearing officers do, you know, do make and they they will listen to, you know, what your underlying circumstances might have been. And, you know, even if it was just, I just moved to Massachusetts and I didn't even know that this was the policy. Because up until 2019, you know, there was that federal and then the federal went away. And some people just didn't know that Massachusetts still had it. We had a lot of those back then. When it first went over, people didn't realize, oh, I thought the federal went away. You have people moving into Massachusetts and they don't always realize it. So it never hurts to have the appeal. And again, as you can see from our slide, the vast majority of these are approved. Awesome. Thank you. That's that's actually really helpful to know as a practitioner. Um, and then we had someone in the audience ask, how would you know when to appeal if you claim a religious exemption on your return? Yeah, so um, I'm going to do my response with the with the um, caveat that, you know, the religious exemption component um, is in Section 3 of Chapter 111M and it's administered by the Department of Revenue. Um, and you make the indication on your taxes that you're claiming this exemption. And just reading from the statute, you know, the Department of Revenue and our one of our health data agencies, the Center for Health Information Analysis, um, work together to look for data matches to basically look to see if there's actually evidence of the person claiming this religious exemption of, you know, not, you know, basically having a religious-based aversion to using the medical healthcare system to see if there's actually any evidence of healthcare services being delivered to that person during the relevant tax year. Um, you know, if that process reveals an inconsistency between the exemption being claimed and the actual delivery of service, um, you know, that would be uh, a pathway um, that the tax filer would have to, you know, grapple with vis-a-vis -vis DOR. But the health, you know, religious exemptions from the individual mandate are not administered through the appeals process. We occasionally see people who are enrolled in um, what are called, you know, um, you know, health sharing arrangements, um, 
which, you know, some of them are called healthcare sharing ministries, but they can be all kinds of, um, you know, organizations that pool and collect financial resources. Um, and uh, we have, as, a, as, as the Health Connector, a list of healthcare sharing ministries that under our regulations um, are considered to meet the MCC standards. And we make that information available um, for, for a given tax year. So, you know, we do see those folks in the appeals process. I was in, I was participating in this sharing ministry or this religious-based health sharing arrangement for these many months. Um, and therefore I should not be penalized for these months in the context of a hearing, but that is the only uh, dimension where our appeals process and, and the request for an appeal um, would make its way to us and have any kind of religious character the exemption is, is administered by DOR. So, you know, if they find a basis for not approving it, um, then they would initiate their own process. That would not be with us. Um, another question. So what if you forgot to check off the appeal box when you filed your state return? Is the process to amend the return just to check off the box? Yeah, essentially you would have to you would have to initiate that appeal. So that box has to be checked for it to populate in the portal that we're going to get the access to the information. Um, so sometimes I do the get back because like the the person will miss it. They get a, a like a, a, an assessment from DOR and they, they want to appeal it now, but they really can't appeal it. So we just tell them to amend the taxes and request the appeal that way. Okay. Um, and then I, I may have missed this, but can I appeal a penalty when back filing? So let's say it's for tax year 2020, I'm filing in 2023. Can I appeal that 2020 penalty? Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Um, and then we're, my very- seeing, I was going to say, we, we, we see tax penalty appeals for all kinds of tax years. Um, okay. Sometimes even folks who are filing multiple tax years anew, you know, we'll have, you know, um, I don't know which the oldest one that, we, that you can recall seeing this year, Heidi, but I've definitely seen 2019 since 2020. I have a 2014. There you go. So whenever, whenever it's filed and whenever there's a penalty and as long as you check the box, it'll make its way to us. Okay. So for example, if I have a client who has a penalty for 2020, but let's say for that tax year, didn't you know, have extreme hardship, but now that it's 2023, this person is maybe experiencing homelessness. Can you appeal the penalty based on the 2023 circumstances? Uh, so, uh, well, the answer is you can always appeal the penalty. Whether or not you'd be presenting valid grounds, I think is, you know, in the scenario you described is, is probably not likely unless there's some other cause, because the question is, was there affordable MCC available to you during the period during which you didn't have coverage? So there must be some 2020 time bound circumstance that has to be able to speak to the inability to make good on the available, the apparently available affordable MCC as described as a matter of law. So even if you know, that this client wasn't homeless in 2020, if there's other circumstances in 2020 that could speak to um, a factual reality of, you know, this coverage was constructively unavailable to me and here's why, you know, then that that would be 
a grounds for a hearing officer to decide, you know what, we're going to waive all or part of this penalty for that tax year. But, you know, matters prior to or subsequent to, um, they aren't really, they don't really have a, a, a probative value on that point. So, you know, couldn't, couldn't use current circumstances. Got it. Okay. So it's, it's bound to that time period. Correct. Yeah. And that's, and that's also consistent with the notion of sometimes folks maybe don't want to appeal because it looks like, you know, my income was so high at the end of the year, but my income was so high at the end of the year because I got, I finally got a good job. And, you know, the last four months of the year, I had health insurance and I had this really high paying job that inflated my annual income. But for the first eight months of the year, um, I was making next to no money. And during that period of time, you know, it would have been a hardship for me to afford cover. So it really is what's happening month by month. Because the penalty is a sense month by month. Uh, and, and in most cases, typically minus three months, because there's that three month grace period that applies for any break in coverage. So, you know, unless you didn't have coverage for the entire year, you're always going to be seeing a penalty that's number of months uh, uncovered minus three. So there's already built into the system a little bit of a cushion. Okay, awesome. Um, and I think that's all the questions for now. Great. Um, I will stop screen sharing and then we can hand things off to Mel. Oh, great. Hello, everybody. Do I need to request screen share? Is that what I have to do? Um, no, at the bottom, it says share screen. Um, uh, right there we go. Um, let's see. Okay. So want to talk about the advanced premium tax credit um, in a little more depth. Um, less about penalty and but uh penalty and appeals um so uh, first thing is how to avoid getting a penalty and the the biggest issue that's going to come up is if you have insurance um, and you get it through the connector uh you have to because and i'll get it you have to go through the year. When you apply for that insurance, you you made an estimate of your income, and I, you know, those estimates necessarily are going to be off in a lot of cases because unexpected things happen. Uh, you know, people get promotions and better jobs. People lose jobs. Lots of things happen. So you can go on to the uh, Health Connector website and you. Um, I'll, I'll walk you through the steps here to change your to change your um, <clears throat> um, eligibility. Um, if you you know if you have clients who are um, you know doing you know you know they're starting a small business and, and they've made estimates, um, it might be good uh, to suggest if you if you touch in touch base with them on their quarterly estimated taxes or something like that to uh, check on those quarterly and see if their income's running um, to estimate. But uh, so you, you go to the the um, Health Connector account, you sign into your account uh, and visit the My Eligibility page. 
And then you, this is a pull down here. So you can um, change the year. Um, you know, the, the sensible thing is to change. It's it's the current year, obviously. Uh, whoops. Um, and then you click uh, on the manageability, click edit application. Um, and then on, uh, on the next page, you'll need to click report a change, the report the change link uh, under the action columns. Um, so now that I've put the cart before the horse, um, what is the advanced premium tax credit? This the advanced premium tax credit is part uh, um, was part of uh, is the what is commonly referred to as Obamacare, although we had it in the state when it was Romney Care, but it's essentially the same. Um, and the advanced uh, federal it's a federal tax credit. It was calculated on a household basis. So that's household income and, and number of people in the household. Um, if people qualify, um, it, because their income is essentially low enough given the size of their household, um, they may use the a, uh, APTC or advanced premium tax credit right away to lower um, what you pay for health care. Uh, plan premiums, it's hard to say that, I mean, sorry. Uh, qualifying households can use the tax credit as an advance payment um, it, this, it, to, to lower their monthly health uh, plan premiums and makes insurance more affordable. The whole premise of the idea of this, uh, of the um, either Romney or Obamacare is that you get everybody covered so there's less, um, waste in the system, essentially. Next, okay. Um, to get the advanced premium tax credit, you, you enroll plan in, in a plan through the health connector. Once you enroll, you can control how much of your tax credit you wanna use to help pay for your monthly um, health plan premium. You can, instead of taking it in advance, you can not have it, you can have it just be a premium tax credit after you've paid for it and you file your taxes. Um, I don't think anybody would really do that, but you do have the ability to do that. The premium tax credit is sent directly to the insurance company. So it's money that um, the qualifying households never see directly because it goes from the, you know, from Massachusetts, uh, from the it's kind of feds directly to the insurance. Um, and it's applied to your premium so that you your monthly payment is much lower. Um, normally, tax credits. The, the weird thing about this is this the advanced facet of it. Tax credits are very common. We have lots of them out there. Uh, but you know the 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 odd thing is this is um, advanced, and I'll explain why that comes up. So normal tax credits. Uh, are in arrears, which means that you get it after you've spent the money and the tax year is over. So I buy an electric vehicle in March of 2023 and get a $5,000 tax credit. Um, when I file my 2020, 2020, tax year 2023 taxes, which I'll file in the spring of 2024. Um, the problem is many households can't Cash flow that they wouldn't without the without the um, tax credit, 
money, they can't afford the premium for the healthcare. So what what this the fix is to make it advanced, but that creates some other problems. The tax credit does get paid out during the tax year, but it requires taxpayers to predict their their income, which is harder, and their household size, which is which can can change too. Prediction. So the issue is the predictions can be wrong, or I think more uh, worrying for the people when they were initially setting setting this up is gamed, and you can say I'm not going to make any money, even though you have a history of making a lot of money. Um, so the solution is the recipients of advanced premium tax credits must first file taxes with uh, with their actual income for the year. Um, there's other enforcement mechanisms to make sure people are honest about their income. So, uh, you know, the the advanced premium tax credit and the whole healthcare system was kind of going to leverage it off of the tax system, and then the reconciliation uh, has to happen in the tax return of the estimated income to actual income. So if somebody said, I'm gonna make $10,000 this year, they they would qualify for a significant um, advanced premium tax credit that got paid out. And then at the end of the year, um, it turns out they made $100,000. They're going to be, uh, when you file your taxes, you're you're going to have to reconcile those two, and the the uh, result is going to be you're going to have to pay back. Um, uh, in that case, you have to pay back all the subsidies you receive. But because um, um, well, depending on household size, it's a hundred thousand dollars for an individual. Certainly, doesn't have any uh, 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 tax credit. Um, so. That's what that's what's meant by reconciliation. That's what you do when you file your taxes. Um, and so when estimates are wrong, they can be wrong either way. Some people think they're going to make $100,000 and they don't. Um, so in that case, they're going to, you know, if it's less than, uh, if the income is more than expected, like I said, you'll hey, I have to pay back some or all, depending on if you still qualify for some of the tax credit, you will get credit for the amount you'd still qualify for and just have to pay back the amount you no longer qualify for. Likewise, on the in- if income was less than estimated, uh, the taxpayer will receive money. I said money back here, but it could just be lowering your overall tax bill um, if you still have a tax liability. Uh, the amount would be the correct subsidy for the house, the income household size less the subsidy you actually receive. So if you qualified for a hundred dollars, uh, you, you know when you filled it out, you, you expected a higher income. You qualified for a hundred dollars a month. Um, at the end of the year, your income was lower, and now you really should have qualified for two hundred dollars a month. You're going to get. Uh, $1,200 because that's the um, $200 a month less, which would be 24,000, uh, $2,400 for the year, less the $1,200 that you did receive, giving a uh, result of $1,200 that you, you'll receive a tax credit for $1,200. 
And should you not have any tax liability, that'll be added to your refund. Okay, that's it for my slides. Um, are there any questions on that or anything else? Um, so there's no questions from the audience. So just to go back to your very first slide, you gave you first gave the solution, which is you have to go to. Is this on the Mass Health Connectors website? Is, yeah, sorry, this is on the Mass Health Connector website. Okay, uh, and uh, we actually went to go find it, and um, I had my two of my interns do it, and they're quite young, and they did it very quickly. Um, it was under five minutes. When when I did it, it it was significantly longer, but I'm guessing that's somewhat age dependent. So, got it. So. Basically, your biggest tip is when your income changes, make and you have insurance through the exactly. health connector, make exactly. sure to change it through on the website. Okay. You know, if you if this is should be if somebody loses a job in addition to going and filing for unemployment, they probably want to come here and do this because it, it, it can increase their premium and that'll you know help with the financial pressure that's suddenly been put on the household. Likewise, if you you know win the lottery or get a big job promotion or something like that, you also want to come on here and um, or go from being unemployed to being employed and, and change your estimated income so that you, you it'll lower your premiums pretty much right away, I think. Um, but on the other hand, you won't be looking at having to pay it back plus penalty at the end of the year when you file your taxes. Got it. Um, so we do have one question from the audience. I think you may have just answered this, but the question is, if you were low income or no income for most of the year and received the APTC for most of the year, and then you get a good paying job, let's say in October, do you have to pay back the APTC for beginning of the year? Or is this a situation where the client would file an appeal? I mean, they would have to, I mean, uh, Michael and Heidi, I, I, let me just comment on the tax portion. I mean, their income, if they're going to, you know, looking at a quarter of a year of income, a lot of jobs still would be qualifying for, you know, if you only had income for nine, uh, three months out of the year, in, unless it was a quite high paying job, you're still going to qualify for subsidy. Um, you should come here and fill it in. Now, remember, you know, you're only going to get a quarter of your annual salary in that case. Um, but I don't think, you know, I basically, I think the way I think it would work is it would just, they would just change your, your, if you came in here and did this, it would just change your premium for the last three months and it shouldn't affect the amount that's already paid, but I'll leave that to Michael and Heidi. Yeah, no, I think I think that's it. I mean, as a general rule, you know, individuals who apply for coverage with the Health Connector, we make it very clear when you sign up that there's a standing obligation to tell us when you have material changes in any eligibility factor. Um, obviously, you know, um, it's to the tax code, 
whether it's just regular APTC or our special additional state subsidized program, Connector Care, where you have to be eligible for APTC and you're below a certain income level. Um, you know, household size impacts that too. So, you know, telling us when you have, you know, a new dependent could also impact your eligibility as well. Um, so, you know, I think a, I think a more representative scenario, I think that gets to the heart of the questioner, uh, what the questioner is looking for is, and we see this sometimes too, is person has a steady income. They make a modest income that puts them in, a, in, a, in an eligibility level for APTC. And then at the end of the year, they receive some sort of unexpected one-time income spike. They cashed in some asset, they received some inheritance, something happened that boosts their AGI such that when it comes time to do the, you know, the 8562 reconciliation, you know, they're 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 looking at, you know, a, a final income that is truly unexpectedly beyond what they had projected and what they could have projected all year. Um, and so the answer is yes, you know, you are on the hook, as Mel said, for those tax credits, um, you know, uh, and so the best defense is really to be as granular as you can when you see those changes up, up front during the during the tax year and, and tell us when your situation has changed. One other caveat is you could be no, you know, we have a joint application with MassHealth. And so if you are at an income level or in circumstances such that you, by applying, have been enrolled with MassHealth for part or all of the year, um, you know, that's our state Medicaid agency. You are not drawing APTC for any type of coverage during those months. So you could be in a situation where um, you went from being on Medicaid, MassHealth, for most of the year, you got that new job um, and switched to getting, let's say, APTC uh, supported coverage of the health connector, you would have no issue at all on your tax return because there is no APTC that you were drawing for the first three quarters of the year. And presumably your projection for those last four months would be precise, but you know, maybe, maybe you didn't do that right. And you're, maybe you guessed that wrong too, depending on the nature of your job. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's an annual process that doesn't always account for the volatility under the hood. Um, but, you know, we are not the health center. We are not the place to appeal issues with reconciling APTC. You know, that's a federal tax filing issue. Um, but I appreciate that aspect of the question coming in because it shows how these things are interrelated with our hardship appeals process. Because again, somebody who could be have been in a hardship for most of the year until they got that good job. You know, if they are also seeing on their state taxes a penalty for those you know, first eight months minus three, you know, they should appeal and tell us their circumstances. Awesome. Thank you so much um, for the answers. Um, I, I just, I had one question. Um, uh, when someone goes, when a taxpayer goes to VITA to have their tax return prepared, they might not have the proper health insurance documents. So they might have insurance through the connector, but they not might not have the documents to file the return. Um, and I know what we do at GBLS, but in general, how should taxpayers go about getting the proper health insurance documents if maybe they received it, but then they tossed it out because they thought it wasn't important? What are the steps? So for their 1095, they can actually log into their account and get it. 
Um, so that uh, that information would be they are accessible for them. So if they have access to their account online, they can go into their notices. Um, and there's a bullet in there for tax forms, and you can get you can get prior year as well. Um, so that information would be there for them um, for that for the ATPC. As far as the the 1099 that you would get, the HC you would get from your insurer that they would have to contact whoever their provider was. Okay. So whoever you got your insurance, there's a like, I have Mass General, I would call them and get my 1099 for this last tax year. I, 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 would, I would add a note that if you are someone who for some or all of the year did have coverage through the Health Connector and you do have a 1095A that you can access through your account, um, all the coverage that the Health Connector sells is MCC for the purposes of the state's individual mandate. So, you know, if you're presented in a um, tax preparation context with that question, if you see that someone was enrolled through the Health Connector and they have a 1095A, they are, you know, they did have MCC through us for whatever period of time is reflected on the 1095A, even if they don't have in their hand um, the 1099HC from the carrier. Um, or in some cases, uh, I think it gets more tricky when we're talking about the federal forms from employers because I know trying to hunt down employers to get 1095Bs or Cs can be challenging for folks. I don't know if Mel's got experience on that, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it, it has been very challenging. So um, getting it from the health connector or just knowing that the client has mass health makes the process so much easier. Um, okay, great. So do we have any final comments or does anyone have any questions? I guess I I, I have a question. Because um, if somebody, um, there are times when people have income that, it's income, you know, certainly for tax purposes, like, you know, if you uh, sell a business or something like that, you've, you've got, you know, which if they were, uh, they may get no cash, um, but they have income because there were loans. So effectively they took out the money beforehand. Is that grounds for appeal? I don't think I quite followed the example. Now, can you help me? Okay. Uh, yeah. I, you know, if you have somebody like when you do sale of a, a business, um, there you can have reportable income. Uh, you know, if to just to give you an example, you sell a business and you get uh, for a hundred thousand dollars. There was a fifty thousand dollar loan. The in, the business had a fifty thousand dollar loan. So the, the, when you you didn't receive $100,000, you received $50,000, the, the seller. Their income number, the, their tax return number is going to be $100,000 um, because that's what the 1099 is going to say. And that, that's the proper amount. You know, for, that's how GAAP, you know, generally accepted accounting principles work. Um, you know, essentially, they were. Uh, so, would that be grounds for appeal? Got it. So, um, as it regards the state individual mandate and penalties for not having it, so if someone didn't have 
MCC for all our part of that year where that business sale occurred and they want to appeal it, what we're going to see in our readout from DOR is that high level income value. But, and this is why I think Heidi and I have, have if we said one thing um, the most, it's always appeal because that is your opportunity um, to really present facts and circumstances like the scenario you laid out now, which is, you know, that is an additional expense that bears on your financial capacity to actually pay for mm -hmm. the health insurance. You know, when I, um, you know, part of my role is I support our hearing officers and train them, you know, the way that I frame the individual mandate is, you know, step one is basically doing the person's taxes. Was affordable MCC available? It's the same process you do when you when you do the taxes for them. And there are not insignificant number of cases where the math just determines that there wasn't any affordable coverage available. These are usually like older persons who are not Medicare eligible. And so the, the, the premium available to them based on age is really too expensive and they have moderate income. And so that disposes the case. Um, but the next question is, is, you know, forget what the law says, you know, was it constructively denied to you because of other circumstances? And that's where the hardship categories come in. And that's where that last little catch all about, you know, any other circumstance that impacts your ability to actually pay, to actually get the coverage. Um, I don't know if a delta of, okay, you made a, you, you sold a business for $100,000 and you netted 50, assuming that there's other income sources at play. I don't know how that would play out in a, uh, the actual analysis by a hearing officer, but I think the point is correct that any weird financial occurrence, right? Like you had a sudden unexpected cost of needing to pay for um, a relative complex medical condition, right? They had to come to you to get that surgery paid for out of your pocket. Show us the proof, right? Show us that financial hardship on your budget. Um, things of that nature. So I hope, hope, hope that helps. It's really come, come to us uh, with your hearing uh, appeal. Um, we're not asking because we want or need the work, but it's your chance to tell us your story about what actually happened. Because the, the tax form is designed to assess you against um, affordability as a matter of law, not whether you could actually do it, right? Um, so always, always, you know, come into the process and, and tell us your story. Awesome. Um, thank you so much, Michael, Heidi, and Mel. Um, I, I found this incredibly helpful. It's also really nice to know that appealing the penalty is encouraged so people, you know, get to share their story. Um, and this isn't something I knew before, so I will definitely take advantage of it. This is this was very helpful. Um, it seems like we don't have any other questions, so um, I think we can end um, the panel here. And thank you, everyone, for attending.